0: hey what's up
1: y'all alan Kenny, host of blade homers and podcast part of crimson cream machine on the sb nation network of podcasts with uh, so much in flux in the world of sports right now i wanted to bring on uh, dan Wolken, columnist from usa today a longtime friend of the show to uh, talk a little bit about what he's hearing from administrators kind of some of the decisions that are going into uh, when we might actually see sports again so let's go ahead welcome dan on dan what's up man
0: how are you? I'm just kind of doing the same thing everyone else is doing. Uh, you know, lucky to be able to work from home. Uh, I know a lot of people are, uh, having to make huge adjustments or are not able to work. Uh, but, uh, I've ha- I've been lucky that, uh, it's not too far removed from kind of what I, what I am used to doing. So, uh, aside from just not being able to do stuff besides work, I'm, I'm doing okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, so, you know, I guess, uh, you know, are you catching up on TV or anything like that?
0: Yeah, I've done a little bit of that. Um, you know, I, I have been pretty busy, uh, kind of surprisingly busy, just in terms of writing and reporting. And, you know, by the time I kind of finish the day and and you know, make dinner or whatever, I don't have a ton of uh tv time but i've I've tried to tackle some household projects and get get some things reorganized so you know in that sense try to be productive
1: yeah yeah i'm with you that's uh that's the same same for me same for me but uh we're hearing so much you know well i, I mean when i say so much i mean not much you know actually football wise but you know a lot more about uh, the mechanics of what is going to take to kind of um open up sports as, as a whole, and it's kind of funny, you've uh, <laughs> become somewhat of a face of this just uh, since you wrote a column essentially, you know, kind of predicting really what was going to happen with the NCAA tournament, um, you know, I guess for just just going back to the beginning of all this, like, what do you think was misunderstood maybe about the public or by um, administrators about what this what this whole, you know, kind of ordeal entailed?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, and I'm not sure that I have a real terrific answer for it. But, you know, I think that this is a situation that is just so big and so disruptive that it was hard to envision that it could ever happen. You know, I think we went through this to a degree with 9-11, and it's the only other thing in my lifetime that I can compare it to, which is we, we just had a certain naivete about certain things and then all of a sudden you know, that day happens and we're immediately changing a lot of aspects of society and the way we live our lives and I think this is kind of of the same scale and even more so because it's global. It's literally brought the world to a standstill and we just had never had to think about that uh, and what that would look like and what that would mean. So when I started to really lock in on reports of what was going on in in, the, in Seattle, the state of Washington, uh, in Italy, and just the numbers, and and started to look at uh, you know these models and the curve and all those things that that we now feel like we know so well, I just looked at it and said, you know, the NCAA tournament. Uh, is in trouble here because you're talking about 900 players and a few hundred more coaches and officials and team personnel, and you're going to have these sites and and you're going to have eight teams per site and they're going to come in from all these places all over the country. And you'd already seen, you know, some schools that were beginning to shut down for a while or extend spring breaks. Uh, you know, Vanderbilt was one of them. And then, you know, the Ivy league got out ahead of it. And, and I just, saw kind of the dominoes falling and was like there's no way that you're going to have this tournament and no one is going to test positive and if that happens then what and I think you know really when you look at now we know how much we know a lot more about how this spreads and you know the the potential for sporting events to really be a catalyst of an outbreak I think probably the NCAA was fortunate that uh, it did not start the tournament because that, that could have been a real disaster.
1: Yeah, just, uh, you know, you start thinking about uh, how, how all that could spin off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess, you know, now in terms of evaluating, you know, where things are, I guess, you know, right now, uh, obviously, we've had, uh, you know, spring sports, uh, you know, the end of winter sports canceled. Um, uh, what's What are athletic directors and, and people kind of in the industrial complex? I mean, what's their level of kind of anxiety right now?
0: I think it's pretty high, and I don't think they're going to say that necessarily as a public stance. But privately, I think there's a lot of concern and uncertainty because it's so multi-layered. Not only is there the the just general you know, health and safety situation that is immediate, which I think we all can see will will to some degree um, dissipate or you know, become less at the forefront uh, as we get deeper into the summer. But, you know, there is, you know, sort of that secondary concern of, okay, we get to a place in society where, you know, we're kind of getting back to normal life. More people are going to work hopefully there's testing more readily available and, you know, there's antibody testing that's, that's available. So, okay, we get to that place. Now we still have a lot of work to do to get there, but, but, say at some point in the summer we, we can, well, what's then going to be the, the, te- the all clear for college campuses to open? Uh, who's going to make that decision? What's the guidance going to be? Are there going to be some schools or some states that aren't allowed to do that because they're still dealing with, with more limited outbreaks? So that's another layer to it. Um, you know, I don't think there's a, a very good possibility – of college football season being prepared for or, or college athletes being on campus. If the campuses are closed, I think that's, that's very unlikely to happen. And, and frankly, it shouldn't happen. Um, you know, and then there's the additional layer, which is okay. Let's say all that, those hurdles get cleared and we're, we're kind of back to normal and everything's going pretty well. Uh, well, all right. Are fans going to feel comfortable going to football stadiums and watching games, or are they just going to sit it out because they don't want to take the risk of being in a big crowd for quite a while, and what does that do? So you put all that together, and I think there's very good reason to be concerned about what this football season is going to look like, um, what kind of revenue impact it's going to have on athletic departments, and how it could potentially change the landscape of college athletics for a long time.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I I love college sports, but it's also just as a a kind of, you know, technical problem, actually kind of really interesting. Um, But looking at that, uh, you say say there's no way, I mean, you really don't see uh, programs bringing players back until campuses are open, right? I mean, like, I just, I can't envision a scenario where that happens despite, you know, prodding from uh, Mike Gundy or Dabo Swinney or what have you, right?
0: it just doesn't make any logical sense. Why would you say it's too dangerous for regular students to be on campus or it's not safe enough, but it is safe enough for a hundred football players. Um, that, that just doesn't make any logical sense. Uh, and it also, you know, really projects uh, the the idea that they are professionals. They're not amateurs. And I think, You know, there's a legal component to that, not just sort of the risk assessment, uh, the liability. I mean, think about if somebody caught coronavirus as a football player on campus when everybody else was off campus. um, I think that's a pretty, you know, open and shut legal liability case of why are you there? But also, you know, I I do think from the the paying players and are they professionals, you know, are they – Are they employees? That starts to look a lot like employees.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure, for sure. So one of the interesting things that's been kind of brought up is, you know, talking about fans and you know opening the games up with or without fans. Uh, you know, I know I saw the Notre Dame's athletic director came out and said, you know, you can't, um, you know, envision a scenario where they're playing without fans in the stands. I mean, how likely is it that they go ahead with something like a fanless game?
0: Uh, I don't know. I, I think. Uh, everything's on the table right now. Uh, I think that there's going to have to be some flexibility. I think you don't want to play without uh, fans because there is not, not just sort of the aesthetic component, you know, the, the tradition. I I think you put that aside. I, I also think there's a financial part of it too. Uh, you know TV money is a backstop, and, and if it's the only money that's available, I guess you could possibly do it. Uh, but um, the, the ticket revenue, uh, the gate is, is huge. And you want so I think I think it, given the options of you start the season on time with no fans or you delay the season to a point where you can have fans, I think it would, they would take the second option.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. But I also do also wonder, I mean, like it's kind of back to a chicken. I thing. like if there's a scenario where it's not safe enough to play, uh, pardon me, it's not safe enough for fans to be there. I can't envision a scenario where it is safe enough necessarily for the players to be out there. Yeah.
0: Know? I mean, may- maybe, I-, I think there's more control you can have, uh, over, you know, the football players and the people on the field in terms of, you know, can you test those folks? Um, but I think once you start allowing crowds, uh, that's a whole different ball of wax, you know, unless like you're literally, you know, swabbing people as they come through the gates, which I'm not quite sure when, you know, when it'll get to that point.
1: Right. Okay. Well, let's say that, you um for the most part, things, you know, kind of go off without a hitch, you know, schools are back in session for, for fall. Um, Who is it that's going to be making the decisions here that, okay, we're going to go ahead and play. I mean, is it going to be the conference commissioners Are they ultimately going to be the ones that have a say over it?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I think certainly, you know, the conference commissioners are going to want to have a, a, a understanding amongst themselves about what they want to do and, and how they want to start this thing back up. But I also think that it's ultimately a issue of, of governmental oversight. Um, you know, there are certain states that may not be open, and, and, and that's really interesting as well. I mean, you know, what if, if California or New York, you know, Gavin Newsom is saying, you know, we are not ready yet, or, you know, Andrew Cuomo saying we're not ready yet. Uh, Does that mean that Syracuse can't play? Um, You know, and, and and yet everyone else in the ACC can, I mean, that, that is, uh, uh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, just because it's such a patchwork kind of of governance at this point that you're going to have so many different stakeholders weighing in on all this. Uh, it's going to be that, that part is going to be interesting, but, um, how much lobbying do you see going on from, like, say, coaches? I mean, you know, obviously we've seen uh, Davo Swinney and, and Mike Gundy. They've been kind of two of the people that have been in the spotlight over this. But, I mean, how much lobbying do you see going on behind the scenes, do you think, from coaches to try to use whatever influence they may have to get things back up and running?
0: Well, I just don't think the coaches are are, are all that relevant, honestly. I mean, I think the school's – you know, where football is super, super important, I don't think, you know, I I don't think you need anyone to tell, uh, you know, Greg Byrne or the president at the University of Alabama or the, you know, chancellor of the system or whatever that that Nick Saban wants to play football as soon as he can play football. Like, I think we all understand that. But um, I don't think the coaches can really influence the way this goes down. I I think this is just, you know, this is not a traditional issue Uh, and I, and I don't think that the answers are going to come from the traditional ways of of thinking about it.
1: Right. Um, speaking of coaches too, I'm, I'm really interested to get your thoughts on what this is going to do to the industry going forward in terms of, you know, uh, leveraging new contracts, hopping around for, uh, new jobs, that type of thing. I've got to think, uh, you know, after, after all this, Programs are going to be looking at agents and saying, you know, uh, you know, so and so had a great year, but we're, we're pretty strapped for cash right now.
0: A lot of the economics of college sports are going to have to change. Uh, and it's, it's going to start, uh, there for sure. You know, I think the mega contract, uh, coaching hire days are, are, are likely over, uh, you know, at least for the foreseeable future, um, I think it's going to be very, very hard at a time when everyone's going to be cutting, everyone's going to be losing money. Uh, you know, a lot of people are t- going to have to take pay cuts in the in the private sector, uh, and you know, education, higher education, massive cuts. So I, I think n- now more than ever, it's not going to be feasible to, you know, more more and more for coaches. I, I don't think we're going to be getting any more, you know, paying Eli Drinkwitz four million dollars a year. Um, from, you know, to come after one year at Appalachian state, uh, you know, but there's also going to be other things. Uh, certainly there's going to be talk about people cutting sports. Uh, there's going to be, there's going to be talk about, you know, does some of these conferences make sense? I don't know about football basketball, but are, are we going to end up saying, you know, if we really want some of these other sports, uh, shouldn't they just be playing games that are within bus rides? You know, um, maybe even some basketball programs and, and travel, you know, are they, they going to cut back on charters? Are they going to cut back on, you know, or are, are they, are they going to, you know, downgrade from staying at the Marriott to staying at the Holiday Inn Express, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I, I could, I could totally see, uh, changes in, in the paradigm of, of how these places operate, you know, uh, uh, athletic directors spending money to go to all these boondoggle conventions and conferences they go to, uh, they're going to, they're going to have to cut from, from everywhere and, and including salaries. So, um, I think you'll see these, these places emerge a lot leaner and, uh, you know, if they have to cut sports, they will, but that, that's, you know, unfortunately, uh, Uh, or let's, let's hope that's a last resort.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, the funny thing you, you bring up there too, is, you know, the streamlining of the conferences and whatnot. I mean, you also got stuff like fan travel, for example, are fans going to be willing to travel, you know, are they going to be willing to fly out to LA necessarily to <laughs> go to the Rose Bowl? Are they going to, you know, if, are are they going to be willing to travel, uh, you know, really kind of outside, you know, some of these conferences, for example, where they're, you know, just a longer, longer trip to get from a uh, city to city, that type of thing. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, it's the whole thing is uh, it's it's really going to be in flux. I, I mean, it's it's going to be fascinating to watch uh, play out. Kind of sad, but uh, I mean, at the same time, um, you know, I guess just just the reality of things right now.
0: Yeah, I just think that uh, you know, sports that don't make any money, you know, you, volleyball or softball or wherever, you know, does it make sense to have? the traditional conferences or would it be much more cost effective since it doesn't necessarily matter anyway um, to, to be basically just playing, you know, people within three hours of you, you know, other division one schools within three hours of you uh, for the most part, you know, and uh, I think reconsidering cross country trips for baseball or, or those kind of school uh, or those kind of sports, all that has to be on the table.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Well, uh, Dan, anything else you're watching or that's, that's kind of piqued your interest in the, in the other sports outside the, uh, college world?
0: Well, look, I mean, everyone's in flux right now, and it's been interesting to see the, uh, you know, the, the kind of harebrained plans that, that people have for bringing back sports. um, you know it's interesting, I guess, but I very much am skeptical of you know the idea that you can you put leagues and teams in, in these bubbles and try to play games uh, that way or play or finish seasons that way. I think the logistics of it are kind of nonsensical. I don't think they can actually be achieved in a very uh, efficient manner, and I don't think that. Frankly, it would be a good idea uh, to to try to do that. I mean, if that's what it takes to continue playing sports for this year, I, I don't I don't know that sports are that important. I know that that people want to make money. Um, I think the owners, most of all, when it comes to these professional sports leagues, I think you know we we need to have our priorities in order here and get society functioning again. And, under, and have the understanding that there's a huge collective sacrifice that, that we're having to make and that we're not actually going to be back to normal until we have, you know, medical advancements that make it possible. So that's where I think the focus should be. But obviously the the business of sports goes on, the speculation goes on and, that's i think just fascinating day by day seeing the machinations of of how people are trying to make this happen
1: right that uh you know idea that was put forward for major league baseball it was just i mean patently idiotic i mean you put a ball in arizona in phoenix I, you know if one guy you know breaks the quarantine and and gets this then you've got all these people in the same place you've got to shut it all down i mean what, like and and how are you going to keep those guys from pe- people from you know circulating in the general population? Are you going to put an armed guard at everybody's door <laughs> to keep them from leaving? those? I mean, the whole thing I was just reading. Like, are you you got to be kidding me?
0: Yeah, it, do, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And uh, it, we we had a story uh, in our paper that kind of actually spelled out how the logistics would have to work and and what it would actually require. And when you actually start to run the numbers, you can just see it's not going to happen.
1: Right. Right. Well, well, cool. Well, um, Dan, man, I, I, I would say I really appreciate you taking, uh, taking out time out of your busy schedule, but (laughs) I don't think anybody's that busy right now, but I do really appreciate you coming on the show, man. Thanks so much.
0: Sure. No problem.
1: All right, again, that's Dan Wolkin of USA Today, uh, one of my favorite uh, college sports columnists out there. Make sure to give him a follow on Twitter. Check out all of his stuff. Uh, thanks to Dan for joining us, and thanks to you all for joining us too. For the Blayton & Holmes Podcast, I'm Alan Kenny. Take it easy.